Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Sorry, you don't mind if I... Okay, I'll, I'll stand first. Just um, So t- this afternoon, I'm going to be focusing more for those who actually are working professionals and even family members, that you actually have an income, a job that supports you, and you're not a student. <laughs> but, but of course, students are, you know, welcome and so on. But I just want to see in this room that you actually are getting a legitimate income right now for yourself, and you're providing for your family, and tithing the church or anyways but you know <laughs> okay let's see okay so so i'm primarily going to be speaking to this group who just raised their hand. of course you know it's it's good for for others who are going to eventually go into the um this this uh this very important group and um i'm going to come at several angles but one angle is this as i understand a little bit more of harvest mission church it reminds me of the church when i was involved with in Boston where I started off with college ministry. The college ministry grew really quickly. And then the college folks graduated and became young adults and they started to work. Uh, young adults had different issues, uh, singles, married, and they started to get married. And then, um, at the same time, our, our ministry at the time seemed to be primarily 70, 80%, uh, college ministry and young adults at the time. And we had a few families with kids. I'm here have kids. You see, raise the hands. Okay. A few. Okay. So it's, it sounds very similar. Um, and I feel like, cause I spent all my energy in young people, college students and young adults, I kind of neglected the married folks and the families. And it seems like it sounds like maybe if you're in that category, you might feel like this church is not for me because it's more for this, this younger energy. And th- let me just tell you the culture it was back then and so see if it sounds familiar. But, um, young people, especially in college, uh, because they have more time and more excitement, or whatever, um, they almost think married folks with kids are second rate Christians, you know, in a sense of they're not as committed to the Lord because they didn't come on Friday nights, you know, the, you know, they, they didn't come for the all night prayer meeting, you know, they, <laughs> They, they, they didn't go on the mission trip that we went, you know. They got kids and they should be doing it. Of course, you have the staff workers and the goes in, with the kids and they're running in the background, but the average, I'm just telling you, this is how the mentality was. Most of the college young adults kind of felt like the, the married folks with kids were sort of like, um, not as spiritual as the rest of us. Okay. And, I almost have to say, I have to, I have to confess, maybe I thought that way too as a pastor when I was, when I was at that stage. I was like, how come, how come the, it's the college ministry folks that want to do missions? They want to go out and they have all the energy to go and, and change the world. And it's the working families, the dentists or whatever. They just kind of sit in the back there and they, you know, you almost have to convince them to do something to come out. You know, I, it was a little more of that kind of mentality. Well, when we first arrived in the mission field, I also started with a group of young people as well. It was just all singles. And, um, but I realized even on the mission field in the end, in order to build a ministry that lasts, 
young people, I have to say, are great and it's got a full excitement, but they don't pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's not just paying the bills, but a ministry of just singles and young people in the long run is it could go off the rail. It just becomes very uh, excitement-oriented. And um, and I have to be honest, sometimes a little bit self-engrossed in thinking that they are it. And I was that way too, so I can put myself in that category. And I learned the lessons the hard way. In the end, uh, these young people came and put me on trial with OMF and said that, you know, this this leader is not a good leader because he's... You know, he wasn't doing all the things he should be doing, like taking care of us, you know, and, and, um, and so, uh, they called in international leadership from Singapore, uh, with OMF to put us on trial, you know, as leaders. And like I said, on, on the mission field, I'm, I'm going to just give you the, all the dirty laundry that takes place on the mission field. Conflict's going to happen. That's just all part of life. And, and, um, Thank goodness OMF had some more mature leaders who came and, and said, yes, David is a, a bad leader in this area. He needs to apologize for, you know, not, uh, but in this other area, he's, he, you know, he didn't cross these lines. And so sometimes you have, but, but the reason why I want to share with that is just say, then I learned that lesson, even on the mission field, I brought in the, the next team of kids, of um, couples with family with young kids and actually a mature uh, seasoned adults to come join and then built the long-term ministry with young people. Uh, so uh, I learned that on the mission field, but also in pastoral ministry. So what happened with my church in Boston, it grew real quickly, with, but you know, I can mention from 150 to 350 in three years. But after I left, they really wanted someone who was actually the opposite of me because when you build something so fast, something's going to fall apart. And they wanted more stability. They wanted someone who can just be there to minister to the families. And for the next 15 years or so, it was just pretty much doing weddings and baby showers and weddings and baby showers. <laughs> and hardly any missions. I'm, I'm saying that in a very... Uh, but from taking care of that group required someone to really be there for this group of, of and so many, uh, um, so it's a different season in life. But the church is far more mature because it's now has this, uh, it's actually the numbers have gone down, but it's now a broader group of many different ages, including we still have a, you know, a college young adults, but we have, Families with young kids, families in, in high school, um, and, and so on. So I, I, I share that to say, as I look back at my own ministry life and so on, I sense that as I read Harvest Mission Church, you're at a stage where families, young kids, and especially professionals uh, need to be encouraged more to know that you are a vital part of making this work. Because in the long run, if it's just we're all students, um, uh, Pastor Seth wouldn't be able to survive on a long run. We, we really need to engage the working professionals who are in your job day in, day out. And maybe you're not called to do the mission work 
directly like on the mission field going long term, but your mission work is really in your workplace. And so that's where I want to encourage you today. I'll try to share a little of some of the lessons I've learned on the mission field. Of course, you know, I do have some work experience myself, uh, but I would not say I'm the expert in this area how, how to be an effective witness. But here's, here's just one thing that I would say. Um, there's, I, I mentioned this a little bit this morning. The temptation would be work is just a means so I can do missions and ministry. And so I'm just going to bear with the bare minimum work. And if I can get as much vacation days, if I can just sort of not, I don't care if I excel in work, but I'm just going to try to put all my time in the church and missions and ministry. And if I don't get promoted, that's all God, it's all God's hand. You know, so, so kind of like work is sort of secular and it's, it's, it's for those who really don't love the Lord. You know, they just want it for their own careers and whatever that, you know, uh, there's a, there's a temptation to go that route. Now there's the other temptation of work becomes an idol, right? Where it's, all about work and, you know, church is just to come and get a good uh, message and send your kids to good Sunday school class so they don't, you know, become partiers in high school and uh, completely leave the faith. So, we, you know, just sort of, but really work is all about, uh, becomes your idol. So you have those two tensions. Um, but I think the the healthy tension is to see really work as your mission and ministry and that you really need to excel in, in that for the sake of the gospel. Right? I mean, that, that you don't see it just as a means to the end, and you don't see it as an idol, but it really is, that is your mission. If you're not called to do full-time missions, full-time ministry, but you are a full-time workplace minister in the workplace area, whatever that means. And what I notice about a lot of young people is that they want to do both. They want, like I said, they want the, I mentioned this morning, they want to have one foot in the workplace, and yet they want to do missions and ministry. And so often they don't excel in the work at all because they, you know, like I said, they'll take a six-month break. And I, I had this one couple, one, you know, loves the Lord, and his parents who love the Lord, and he's uh, doing a Bible training for two years in the Philippines. Um, but he's not called to, he says, I don't feel called to full-time ministry. I just want to learn more about God. And then, okay, deep inside I'm thinking, okay, you, you can learn about God by not giving two years of life to go to Bible college. Uh, this is after, sorry, after, this is after college, going to some kind of seminary two years just, just to learn about God so I can go back and become, uh, I feel like if you're going to invest two years of your time to go into full-time learning about God, you should go into full-time ministry, right? I mean, Pretty much you gave two years of your life, and not to say it's a waste, but you could learn about God by going to the workplace and still do that. So I, what I'm trying to say is that he wasted two years of his life. He, he, I think he's going to be an engineer and sort of be a second-rate engineer after he went two years into in Bible college, right? So, so, I, I, so if you're thinking you're trying to try to do both, I would almost say the mission path, the pastoral path, it really is a full-time, all-out kind of thing. And if God's called you to do that, go 
all out and burn those bridges of the past. Of course, you know, I, I got an MBA later on, but it re, you know, I'm not going to say I'm the MBA expert. I want to say I'm the business expert, but in the end, I'm truly, fully a, a long-term missionary. That is a career path. But if you're going to be in the career path of a business person in whatever profession, whether you're a dentist, we're an accountant or a computer programmer or medical or even military, that you go all out and serve God in that area. And that becomes your mission. And you flourish in that area and you impact in society in those areas of that profession. And church is there to support you to become a missionary in the quote sense, not in the full time sense. Uh, um, a mission witness in that area. So hopefully I, I just want to make, uh, and I, I used the, 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 the shark tank example I said this morning with Kevin O'Leary. He, he, he said, you know, when he looks at uh, uh, a new entrepreneurial business, if the business person isn't 150% in the business, he says business is not about helping nonprofit. Profit and nonprofit should be in two separate worlds. You can you can be a Bill Gates, make a lot of money, and then take that money and help nonprofit. But try if you try to do both, what I've noticed, you will actually, in some sense, shortchange one or the other. And that happens on the mission field all the time. Um, business as mission folks, uh, we we struggle through that. And and it's not it's not a, a right or wrong or even. Uh, but what I've noticed, a lot of business as mission folks are they're trying to do business, and yet they can't do a good job because. You know, um, they're also trying to do ministry, and so they, it's 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 really hard. And I, I experienced that myself. I was the CEO of a company. I had 15 employees, but what if the employee? They know I'm a Christian, and it's interesting. It was our Christian teachers often who were the laziest, and you know, because they they expect grace from you know, it's like. You're a Christian, I'm a Christian, so if I'm late to work, it's okay, you know, I mean, because God's going to forgive us, right? So, and uh, how do you, you know, hiring and firing are part of actually a healthy business. You got to, uh, how do you fire someone as a Christian business person? And I had to wrestle with all that, you know, it's, it's, it, I had people suing me uh, because of, you know, uh, it just, it, it's, it gets very, very complicated. Um, and so in the end, I, I figured that the best way to do a mission team is that you have the business. So I brought in a, a business, truly someone who fully dedicated his time to run the business so that I can focus more on the ministry. And then so that we teamed up together so the business and the ministry had people fully engaged in it, and and rather than trying to have one person do everything, so I learned that through the the hard way. But um, uh, going back to uh, uh, often when you're an entrepreneur, you kind of have to figure it out through through the hard way. Well, I, I I'm going to give you some stories of people that I've mentored and discipled throughout my college years, and see uh, the, uh, life examples of it. First, I'll talk about Ian and Winnie. Winnie graduated from MIT. Ian, they have a business. Uh, it's a software business that does quality um, assurance on on software. Uh, but they wanted to turn that business to make a profit so that they can help with uh, dis- disenfranchise and, and drug addicts and so on. 
so they would sometimes hire people off the street to help with their business. And they've been doing that for the last 15 years. And I get their emails and prayer requests, but it's, it's like they're always barely surviving. And I, I get the fact that they want to help. But in some sense, uh, when you mix business and missions too tightly, sometimes the business doesn't completely succeed because, you know, the people you hire, bring in, may not be the right people for that job, but you're doing it out of charity work. And so in the end, uh, they're still struggling. They haven't figured it out. They still have struggling, you know. So I, I'm just, just giving an example of some of those things. And that happens, you know, on, 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 in businesses' mission all the time. So, um, Yet there's another person, Terry, who's in Beijing, who joined our team. Uh, why, let's just say, remember during SARS, I mentioned during SARS, we had seven singles who stayed during SARS. And these were all kind of like your age. They were young. They were there to study Chinese. And they all had a mission heart to come to Beijing. And they weathered the SARS with us. They were worshiping in our home. We mentored them. Um, and Terry really had a heart to... Um, to reach out to the campuses, and he was the one in Tsinghua during the SARS and, and started the Bible study on the campus. You know, he's a, he's a Caucasian guy, speaks Mandarin and Japanese, and just had a heart for missions. Well, he decided, of course, after uh, he 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 worked in a um, a law firm, became uh, one of the top lawyers there, did a I think a one point two billion dollar deal. And um, uh, solidified. For, so he he was doing really well, but he realized that he was spending so much time, at like 80 hours a week, in business, and was um, not able to spend time at home at all to uh, to be with the family, and also sense that ministry was not doing much other than just making money. So he left that job and he started his own entrepreneurial business in Beijing. But he wanted to completely do business and do it well. And so he didn't join a mission agency; he just did it well. And so his business is doing well. Actually, I think he's got 15 employees now, and it's it's completely thriving. However, and here's the danger back and forth. I I don't want to say this, but I sense that he's lost the mission ministry part of his. Um, he was not the same person when he first when I knew him in Beijing. If you know what I mean, because once the business takes off, you have different priorities. And so I almost think he went overboard the other way. You know, he started off strong and got kind of sucked into that later down the road. Um, there's other uh, students that we work with who... Um, Jason and Brian, who actually um, graduated from MIT. Brian is actually in Hong Kong right now, and he's the VP of Huawei. You know, Huawei's the. Uh, he told me that um, he told me that there's 26 levels of management. You know, uh, in VP, and of course, you know the the owner is 26. He's at the 25 level, whatever that means. You know, um, and so he has. He was part of our college ministry. Really caught a fire for God. Was uh, he? He was served at the church. He, he and his wife were the worship leaders for about 15, 20 years in in Boston before they came to Hong Kong. Very active in the church, and then um, 
really wanted to serve the God, serve God with their professions, and so was exploring some kind of uh, some kind of profession using what he he had. He was working for you know I can't remember which, but it was very very high tech, very high level. You know, MIT graduates they just they have ways to doing really well. His wife is a lawyer, um, working in a, a great job as well doing. Uh, Technology, uh, law stuff. So they, and they don't have any kids. So they're multimillionaires, but serving the Lord in the church. And our church has those kind of folks to keep the ministry and mission alive. To, and they're supporters of ours too, as well. So they're able to keep the work alive and still be very engaged in ministry and church. And then at some season in life, like this is say every, I would just make, I'm going to just say this every seven years for those who are working, I would just say maybe take a pause. You know, maybe it's in your career you're thinking, do I need a shift somewhere? Do I need a whether? To take a pause and say maybe I could use my profession in some other area of the world that might have a greater need. But it's not like I give, it's not like burning the bridges like a full-time missionary, but it's using a professional, using your, your professional gifts in a different area of the world. And so that's why he started, because, you know, he, He's been very mission-minded. He's been supporting missions to China. He was part of our China teaching team uh, in in the uh, earlier days. Uh, he wasn't going to China, but he supported it. And so then that's why he explored this job in Hong Kong and eventually got this job in Hong Kong. And then he's he's very effective in that area to to minister um, uh, the gospel in in his area. Um, so those are some uh, good examples. Then I'll just mention two. Sort of not too good examples of, uh, MIT graduates, because, you know, again, I'm, I'm talking about people that I know. And, um, since I, I, you know, you don't know them, so it's okay if I, I say, but, um, <laughs> well, one guy, uh, his name is Darren, okay, but you don't know him, so, uh, uh maybe I shouldn't have said his name, but, uh, <laughs> So there's another guy. Let's say Tim. Uh, no, so I mean, he graduated MIT and then um, tried to uh, do, uh, try to go in the workplace. It didn't do too well in the workplace. So he went. So because he didn't do, I, this is just my read. Because he didn't didn't succeed too well in the workplace, then he went into full time ministry. He went to seminary, and when he went to seminary, he, he spent four years in seminary. But I'm not for sure if he went to seminary with a call to go into full-time ministry. It was just more like, it didn't work out here, so let me try this. And actually, the seminary is full of people like that now. In the past, when we were in seminary, when I was in seminary back in those days, if you didn't have a call for, for full-time ministry, then maybe you should. But now seminaries are so desperate. They're saying, you know, as long as you're exploring, we'll, we'll accept you, you know. Um, so I think he was more in that kind of category. So he went to seminary for four years and then, and then graduate with an MDiv, and then um, <clears throat> then try to go for a PhD, and then finish that, and then started to teach Taekwondo for a couple years. Not that's bad or good, but MIT folks doing martial arts <laughs> was to keep maybe just so he could live in the Bay Area. But now, but now he's in full uh, full time student work, so I won't tell you what. Uh, so he he was able to now. Uh, 
slowly drift after kind of trying to figure out life, whatever, but now he's kind of, kind of going into full. But almost in the beginning stages, I almost wish he kind of just went one way or the other. You know, it, it's, it, he spent 15 years kind of going this and this and then finally landed. And, and the good news is God works with us no matter where we're, you know, we're, we're on the journey, right? But if I could have talked to him earlier, I kind of wish I could have said, could you have um, gotten off that ship long time ago and just gone into full-time ministry back then instead of just trying to uh, whine? But um, now, the examples I have of those who are actually uh, MIT graduates as well, um, but who went full-time into missions. This guy named Eric, um, and he was my biggest nemesis when when I was doing ministry. Okay, so there's always one guy in your church if you're a pastor that's against you, and this <laughs> and this guy, everything I said to go this way, he would want to go that way. He was, a, you know, he would put my wife to tears every week when she taught Sunday school. He would say, "Wait a minute, the Bible doesn't say that because da 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 da." You know, uh, I mean, he. He thought he knew the Bible more than, than you know, um, than, and, but the funny thing is, so, you know, I always thought he was like, you know, he was my thorn in the flesh, you know, kind of guy, <laughs> really. I, I had so much problem with him, but he is the first and only one at this stage who went all, all in into long-term ministry uh, missions with Wycliffe in China. He's actually just getting kicked out of China now after being there longer than I have. But he and his wife, actually his wife was an angel. She was also part of our ministry. She was from BU, uh, Boston University, and so didn't have the same. She was great, and so she kind of evened him out. <laughs> but, um, but, and now we're, 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 we're colleagues and good friends, you know, kind of thing. And and so I look back and say, sometimes it's the, it's the bad kids, the people who are the most rebellious, actually who will, who will do something that's out of the box. And the good kids, which is, you know, another guy named, anyways, uh, um, this guy we thought was the, he was, he was the most supportive, he was the leader of the, uh, of the ministry, he, he, and we thought he was the one who, it, um, he just, kind of um, just was there. but um, So it's interesting how God just uses different people and different gifts and, and so on. But, but Eric and May, uh, all out for God and are on the mission field and serving him as Wycliffe translators, uh, even with a, in a very remote area in China. And you don't really need your MIT degree to do that, but, but he was able to, to give that up in the end. And, and God's using them in a very, very great way. So I just, you know, I give you, I'm giving you pictures of people that I've known throughout the past and how it has played out. And, and maybe you can just kind of imagine yourself where, where are you right now in, in, in that, in that, um, stage? Well, um, there's a few things I do want to say. There was a quote that, um, I want to say that, uh, uh, maybe I'll wait till later, but there's five, six, six things I, I'm going to say first. Number one, um, missions and ministry is beyond just having a good family life. 
Okay. Missions and ministry, even if you're not called, I'm talking this to those who are in the work called the mission place. The danger that I saw after I left was a lot of the, a lot of the people I work with said, well, right now it's so hard just raising kids. That's my mission. And actually for 15 years, when you have kids starting from zero to 15, because once they hit high school, they're almost kind of like, you still need to be their parents, but they almost don't want you to be their parents. They're kind of like, you know, but the first 15 years in life, that is your primary mission. No doubt. That's, uh, you are called to be a family man. You're called to be a parent and you're called to be responsible. And so let me just first say that I am completely that you have to be having your family as your primary mission, but it can't be your only mission. Because even missionaries and pastors, we have families too, right? So, and we have some of the same challenges, but I, I would say that you, in your workplace, you have to see your workplace and your church in su- at some area of service. Some that you're going to contribute somewhere for the kingdom. So first, I'm going to say that because the, the 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 danger is often you might get into that. Well, my family, my kids, I I'm now going to disciple them, and that's that is. And yes, that's going to be your primary thing. But I'm going to say it's got to be more than just thinking of your family. It's got to be thinking. You got to be involved some in some aspect of church and mission. Secondly, um, family is crucial and marriage is essential. If your marriage life is a horrible testimony, and I see a lot of missionaries that marriages, marriage life is a horrible testimony, it just, the ministry in some sense in the end is, is, um, it just doesn't work. Or it just, it really hinders it. So, I'm trying to balance those two, that marriage and especially uh, your marriage. Of course, family and marriage are, are, are essential for, for missions. I mentioned three, of course, ex- excellence in your work uh, and really try to excel and succeed and try to do the best as you can and rather than try to just do the bare minimum. But I think uh, that's pretty much said. Number four, um, I learned this actually from the Chinese Christians that, who came to Christ, my MBA classmates, they have, sometimes a younger Christian is more effective as a witness than the seasoned older Christian. And it's, it's interesting that these young people who came to faith, they caught something that they're so excited, they just start, it's just, they didn't realize you can't share that at work. They just, they just get so excited, they start to do things that you think normally it just, so, you know, we have a WeChat, um, group of our classmates. And these classmates got so excited about Christ, they started, because our WeChat in the past all used to be about uh, how to make money, how to invest in this property, how to, you know, political situation with Trump. And I and they, they talk about all these other things. But all of a sudden, the Christians in this WeChat started to put in Bible verses into the WeChat and started to witness to the and and I was reading these WeChat messages that I could I could read between the line of the non-Christian group in the WeChat were feeling pressured and were they were saying can you just take this religious thing off the WeChat and you know this is not for religion and then 
They would come back and say, you know, this is part of my faith. This is who I am. You know, they were, they were like in your face kind of thing. They're not knowing that that's kind of offending people. So we had, I had this WeChat of the seven, eight of us who were Christians and a different WeChat. So you know, I'm the, you know, seasoned missionary. I said, so in the Christian WeChat, I was like, you know, um, maybe in this non-Christian group, we don't have to be so upfront about our faith and always putting Bible verses out there. Like, you know, I was trying to be, because we don't want to turn them off. I mean, you know, thinking of that kind of thing. And Claire, okay, so um, she, her name has changed, so it doesn't matter. She, <laughs> she is, uh, well, she was the president of our class when we we're uh, one of the presidents of our class. She, she's a fireball. You know, she, she was a CEO, started, started her own company, and then, uh, you know, became, uh, anyway, she's got one, she's powerhouse. Well, her personality is, you know, she'll bulldoze her over you kind of thing. And so once she catches the, the Jesus bug, she's just, you know, can't help but just every day there's Bible verses on this WeChat, right? And, um, so she's like, Dave, no, you're wrong. I mean, in, in the Christian group says, I share, I share the, these Bible verses with my coworkers that work every day and they love it. You know, and they, they want more of it. They can't get it. Yes, there are people against it, but, but we got to be more bold. And this is just a person who just came to Christ talking to a seasoned missionary about how to be more bold about your faith because she doesn't even know what the standard is. She just thinks, of course you get excited and you, and if everyone loves the Lord, then you just go and out there. And so what I've noticed about a lot of the, these Christians in China is they almost are more, far more willing, even though they, 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 they seem to be under attack. They seem like there's a lot more fear, but they're bolder than the Hong Kong Christians. They're bolder than the American Christians. They just do things that we would never even dare do in America. In the workplace, maybe we would have our own Christian Bibles, but not in a, you know, workplace kind of environment where we would, you know, so, so there's something about that. So I'm going to just say that I think when it comes to witnessing for those who have been long-term Christians, maybe we could be challenged a little more in boldness as there. I know that we already have developed a culture of almost a defensive culture, kind of like, well, this is going to turn people off, so therefore I'm not going to be turning them off, and so I'm going to just be a good person in this group. But sometimes that culture becomes almost... So much to norm that you have actually almost literally no witness. And they may think you're a Christian, but they don't even know what that means in the end. And so that goes to that statement. Um, if you're not standing out at all, you have nothing to offer. Right? And um, so there's this uh, statement that I was trying to come up with. It's it's actually a, a satirical statement. Um an article, you know, uh, Babylon B says this, um, church that believes exactly what world, the world believes is not sure why no one bothers coming to church anymore. And if you at work are no different than people around you because you're so careful to not offend, don't be surprised why none of your colleagues ever come to church and come to Christ because you already have this defeated mentality that, you know, I'm not going to offend. So as long as I keep my faith, um, you know, and then uh, you, you will eventually hardly see any uh, people coming to Christ. 
So there is, of course, there, there, there's a balance. I, I'm not going to say you go out there and just offend everyone in your workplace. But I think I learned from my Chinese Christians that there's, a, there's maybe some way to express your faith that you might think it's uh, a little bit overboard, but maybe that would keep you different enough that people say, hey, you got something that's different that I want to learn more about, right? And then you have a way to witness. So um, I'm just going to end it there just to say that bold witness in whatever context you I don't, you know, every context is different and you, you will know better what that means. But I think maybe what I, I will challenge most of those who are already in the workplace and you already assume this is the culture norm already. Maybe to, um, think twice about that. Find a young Christian who just came to Christ and doesn't know the norms and maybe, uh, join with that person and start something, you know, and, and be willing to take it a little, be willing to be a little more risky in who you are as a, as a Christian, whatever that means. And, and it may turn some people off, but other people may say, Hey, there's something different about you. I hope that makes sense. But that's just sort of, I would say that's what I've learned from, um, from my, uh, Christian friends in, in China in the workplace. Again, I, I'm coming with, I, I'm not the expert, uh, on this area. You know, I, of course, I, I have been in business, but I would still say I'm coming in, uh, and more as from a, a pastor missionary perspective, but I'm going to challenge each of you who are in the workplace. You are crucial for the church, for missions, and to be a bold witness there. And that this church really needs the working professionals to have a long-term impact. Really, the church, the health of this church will really be dependent on how significantly spiritually mature the working um, professionals are in the church. And then once you have that group of people, you can do, you can, you can support missionaries, you can do campus outreach, you can, you know, there's so many things you can do, but you have, you have the solid base of those who love the Lord, who are in the workplace, witnessing, and they're supporting missions, they're supporting uh, uh, exciting things. And you're at a turning point right now from young people, from college students, from uh, to uh, to make that transition. And so um, I, I pray that you know, you know, five, ten years from now, uh, it would be great to see a good portion of this church having that kind of solid presence. And then you have a, you really have a a, a real strong aircraft carrier to be able to send ships, uh, uh, send airplanes to do to do the work. Okay, I'll just have a time for Q&A. That's, that's what I would just share from what I have, um, uh, from my, from my observation. Um, and then maybe we can have some Q&A here.
Yeah, I mean, that's... Okay, so it's a context that you as a as missionaries in your own context should have to wrestle with. How much is too offensive and how much of it is too accommodating? And actually, that's what missionaries go through all the time, uh, how to contextualize the situation and read uh, the situation that is best. And But... Um, I don't have the exact answers. All I know is most Christians usually f- are too afraid of being more bold. So most of us are on the other side. If you're a Christian a long time, most of us are assuming this is the culture of the workplace. And so I'm not going to cross that culture. Uh, or I, I'm just afraid. To, or already they know who you are, this kind of thing. So I, I think... If anything, this is where, for, for most of us who are in that kind of context, to think, okay, where can I take a little more leap of faith that might offend? And I don't, I, I don't know exactly what it is. I, uh, I do remember once when I was in, working as a computer programmer, uh, one of the lady, one of my colleagues, you know, she was definitely pro-abortion. I was pro-life, and and so and, you know, I I started with that discussion. You know, it's a very sensitive topic, and, and back back in those days, you know. If you were pro-life, right now the pro-life movement actually has gained ground. But back in those days, if you were pro-life, you're pretty much, you know, shot down. You know, and so I was able to have conversations, you know, through that kind of way to to get. And then eventually, she did become pro-life. So it's just interesting how that kind of worked out. Um, when I was in China, you know, it, it, it's it's there are times when you feel like you're not supposed to. Um, mention God at all in any kind of context. The Chinese Christians uh, have to even sometimes be so quiet at certain seasons, they don't even know they're a Christian. And if you're a party member, communist party member, um, you know, do, what do you do with that? Do you keep your party and you become a Christian? So these are things that the Chinese church had to wrestle with. And Chowang Church, the church, I would, they were always more in the forefront saying, we're going to let people know that we are Christians in the workplace, even if it means it's going to uh, hurt our career. And when more and more people started to do that, it started became the norm. So, but it takes a, fir- a few people first to break that norm. I even see in Taiwan. So, for example, in Taiwan, when when I was in, a missionary in Taiwan 35 years ago, uh, those who became Christians had to deal with ancestor worship. Do you do the bye-bye uh, 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 every year when when the family gets together and, and during funerals? And during those days, if you become a Christian, it was so much pressure on the early uh, Christians in those days. But now in Taiwan, because so many Christians stood their ground, now all the funeral homes have figured out that Christians do differently than the Buddhists. And so they they the, the funeral homes educate the families who are Buddhists, saying Christians will do it this way, and they, they won't hold the incense, but they'll hold the flowers on the side. And the Buddhists will do it this way, but we can still have a work. So it's, it's because 35 years ago, people kind of had to first um, make their stand and suffer for it. And now slowly the culture has accepted that fact that there's enough Christians uh, that they will not do that. So, it, so there's always sort of that first move that you're going to have, that you're going to feel this persecution or feel this is not right but at some point uh, if, if enough people are able to do it it can eventually change the culture so now in our wechat it's so interesting our wechat even though we're, there's less christian talk now 
it's dominated by the eight Christians in that we chat. They may not talk about Jesus and Christ all the time in Bible verses, but they're, they're the ones who dominate the, the, the discussion. So that it's like the culture of our class has changed. It's, it's not a, uh, everyone's a Christian, but the culture has changed because Christians have already kind of fought those battles. And now the non-Christians are not Christians. They say, okay, you guys Christians are that way anyway. So we're just going to accept it anyways. So that battle has been fought. And so the, it's, it's one step closer for them to, to be able to talk about Jesus, no problem, not fear, and then not fear any kind of uh, attacks on that. So I, I, again, you know, you're, you're the best missionary in your own context to figure out what that, what that is. And, um, I don't have the answers for your own context, but you, you would probably have a better answer to that. Yeah, that's um, that's that's actually what you share is actually a lot what a lot of people go through, even if you're not a Christian, right? So, it's it's the curse of the fall, you know, the the toil of work. That of course, if you're a celebrity and you're doing, you know, you're acting, you're making a lot of money singing, whatever, and you enjoy, you know, there's some people who really enjoy the work, um, and those who are in full time ministry, I would have to say we also enjoy our work, although it is toil, you know. But um, I have to say, though, there is going to be a strong element that exists because of the fall, and that's not just for Christians, that's for everyone. In fact, for the non-Christian world, just imagine this, they don't have any any incentive other than to provide for their family, and so they just hate their jobs, and they have to live a life of that kind of life anyways, right? So so it's uh, it's really that kind of curse. But I say, let's say if you're a Christian and you're going through that, because I went through that for three years. Um, every day to go into work, I was like, oh my gosh, I got to get up and do something I don't like. Um, although there's money in it, but I just I I, I was in the in that 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 mindset. And I have to say though, um, that in some sense also drove me because I I looked at. My computer programs, and they were obsolete in six months. I mentioned this, and then, you know, I was working in the weekends with these high school kids, and their lives were changed for eternity. So God used that to get me to say, well, what's more important for me? You know, so that's that's why I headed toward uh, ministry. But um, let's say that you're in that context, and you really just feel like it's just a drag. So with the conference that both Pastor Seth and I went uh, was trying to we change the image of how we view work. The theology of work, although it is from the fall, but it was trying to remind us that before the fall, there was also work. And Adam was working with Eve in the field when it was a perfect world, and so work in itself is actually a good thing. And um, so... The, the conference is really trying to re-educate the mindset that everything about work is just part of sin in the fall, and so we just got to bear through it. But really, we should try to see our work in itself as God-redeeming factor of our presence being in that presence, that if we weren't there, 
it would truly be a dark place. So the fact that we're a light in that dark place, uh, even if it's a small flicker of light, it's at least some light in that dark place. And so you might feel like it's just a drag, whatever, but the fact that you have a Christ presence in that area, there's at least one person, and then hopefully you can find some others to kind of uh, to 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 start to congregate and, and bring a little more light. So so try to see it as that work is not just you know the the toil of it, but there is true value in that job that God has put you there for a, a reason to have that small flicker light. And I look back, I did I, I look even during my time as as a computer programmer, I I do see God using me in those days to spiritually impact people in those days. So it, it, it's very important. And then secondly, this I think whenever you're in a difficult feeling like you know, it's a real drag kind of situation, that is actually the best time when God is actually shaping your character. And actually, if work were too good and too great, you know, like working at Disneyland, for example, you know, actually people who work at Disneyland hate it because, you know, they gotta, they gotta make everyone else be happy, but they're, you know, they're these, you know, people in costumes, they gotta, you know, they, they gotta, they gotta put ice packs and so on. But but let's just say your job is is just smooth sailing kind of thing. Um, I don't know if you would have the same kind of character lessons that God is going to teach uh, by being in a context that you actually have to toil and in some sense suffer. And some God uses that to almost shape you to become a more godly person um, and to trust in Him. So um, and then you have a great testimony. If you're able to share that with others who are struggling with that um, as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I actually, tomorrow I'm going to be preaching directly more from the Word, and I ain't going to use any pictures tomorrow, because uh, I realize uh, pictures, uh, I, I then get distracted, and I start telling stories. So, anyway. so we're just going to go with the Word of God. But anyways, um, I'm going to say this. Even though I was a, a business uh, MBA student, I was the CEO of a co- company, but I was primarily a missionary. I was a career missionary doing um, workplace things because in order to be in very difficult areas of the world now, they don't accept full-time missionaries. You can't be there as a full-time missionary because, you know, for them, you know, they don't want you. They, you need to have a workplace. And I think the future missionaries are going to be more engaged in that kind. So the future missionaries may not necessarily be like the seminary graduates, but are those who have MBA, uh, who have actually some kind of career, some kind of profession in a difficult area. So I would say, if you're in a profession, try to find where that profession can take you into an area that is a greater need. And that's why I feel like there's this movement west. People in Hong Kong, Shanghai, Beijing, Taiwan, Tokyo, let's just say we, let's just say in the east of Asia, 
we need to start to see Christians taking our professions moving westward into some of the more um, unreached areas of the world. Now, that's that's just a, a general statement, but but then going back to where I came, um, uh, I, of course, wanted to, uh, I was a full-time missionary, uh, but God still used my gifting as an entrepreneur. I, I think I'm still an entrepreneur as well, but I use my entrepreneurial gifts as well as some of my business gifts in order to help the ministry and help the missions and to bring people with that as well. So myself, though, although I was involved in that, I would say I primarily have been a missionary, and then I used it. Now, there are other areas, I was talking with a couple who's thinking about it, but there are others that are fully, you're fully called to a certain profession, and God will use that profession to send you into mission areas of the world. That could be another model, and I think, like I said, that's where more people will be heading in that direction, but I'm primarily a pastor turned business because I had to do it in a, a difficult context. That's for, sort of who I am. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Right now, I don't really feel a position in which to argue that with. I'm just wondering what drives you to go to So your question, though, is saying you, you don't feel the drive to do missions every day, right? And you're asking how how someone like me. And same thing, you know, my son looks at me and said, Dad, are you really a missionary? You just have, you know, he comes home from high school. He thinks he does more work than me and in my life. <laughs> so, Dad, I'm up till midnight studying for exams. And what are you and Mom doing? Just kind of, you know. And, and he thinks we're just kind of watching Netflix at home kind of thing, you know, uh, while, while he's at school, you know, so it's sort of that kind of thing. Um, but um, what drives me every day to do missions? Well, you know, actually, it goes back to how my calling. I think in the end, uh, if my call was to take the gospel to, I felt, the most strategic area of the world, which was at that time Beijing, to impact China so that China will have the impact of the world. And so, and what drives me every day now is I see that call working out. I mean, not, not every missionary gets to see that. Some missionaries, uh, the, the mission movement takes off after they die, you know, after they get martyred. And then, but for me, somehow I've been given a certain kind of grace to actually see the results of my work. So, this Mission China 2030, which they, they are having a vision to send out 20,000 missionaries uh, by the year 2030. This is the Chinese pastors. I have to say that's the result of my Lausanne work. You know, so I am able to see what I do come to fruition or uh, to people, when people get excited about it, then I say, Oh, maybe I'm doing something right. Right. You know, it's kind of like if, if no one were, if I, let's say if I were speaking to you and you're all falling asleep, which I can see somewhere right now, but, um, <laughs> then I'd be like, maybe I'm not called to do this. And then, you know, so there is something about the gifting and the results that actually have encouraged me to know that I'm sort of, and God uses that to encourage because everyone needs encouragement. So at least for me, uh, I have had that privilege of being able to see uh, God work, but it, it's, Interesting, he, he has always worked in the almost exact opposite that I had thought was going to work. Like, it's, uh, it's, he worked through, again, through the failures and through 
uh, challenges and difficulties rather than through the success. But then it's, it's, it's working, uh, uh, to see the fruits of the ministry has, has given me the encouragement. But then, um, when I see lives change for eternity, you cannot, you, when you lead someone to Christ from darkness to light and you disciple them, there, I have to say God somehow has, has given us a desire in our hearts to do that. That fills an empty hole. If you have never had experience of doing that before, you probably don't, you can maybe see that, but you can only sort of understand that. But when you actually have done something like that, you almost have to say, we can't get a better job than doing some of that. It's like people's lives are changed for eternity, right? I mean, how can you not want to do something like that? So if you ask my wife, Jackie, she she goes a little bit overboard, but she would say, if you're not a missionary, she's like, I, I might even question if you're a Christian or not. No, she was a little, no, she wouldn't say it, but she was like, it's like, how can you not? And it's like, she's like, everyone should be a missionary. She, she, you know, she, she's she's sort of in that kind of category that, how can you not want to do that? That's just, it's just so exciting to see someone's life turn from darkness to light kind of thing. So, um, uh, let me just say that if you're if you're considering that, that's something that will really if you're able to be part of a ministry where you actually see lives change, you know, um, uh, and that could be a great inspiration and motivation for you to to get up in the morning and and consider that. Um, yes, back there, yeah. Yeah, that's a very good question because um, um, I was asked to invited to come back to the 50th anniversary of our church to speak to the English congregation, which which I was pastoring. Um, and this was because I left over, I say I left in two, 18 years ago and the people in the group, we had about 150 people there and most of them uh, um, were not part of my ministry, but they kind of heard about us. And so they asked me what I should share. And one thing that I was careful, I want, the reason why I want, I, I said this statement was because what I had noticed after I left in the last 15 or so years is that it became too inward. And that because of that, the danger of this church, I don't, it won't happen because I know Pastor Steth, he won't let it happen. But let's say if Pastor, because what will happen? Let's say Pastor Seth gets taken out for whatever reason. No, let's say uh, the, the Congress part government comes in, and you know, I know. They, and then the, the danger is often they the next pastor they bring in is going to be the opposite of the previous pastor because it's it's almost a it's an overcorrection, right? That's. That's what happened with my with my church. So they brought in a guy who was a stable guy who could take care of all the families because, you know, they had enough of Pastor Seth and David, Pastor David Rowe to kind of change the world, and then now they needed someone to take care of themselves. That's sort of 
the, the, and I think they went overboard. And so all they want now, and the church has actually, it's about 300. So it's two, three, two, 275. But in the last 20 years, it hasn't grown. It's actually declined. It's just plateaued. And so it never, it never grew. And guess what? They're still complaining they don't have enough, um, pastoral care. They still feel like, you know, we need more pastoral care. So no matter how much pastoral care you give in the end, they still don't have enough. <laughs> right? So I'd rather have a Pastor Seth and a Pastor Dave that kind of challenges and you don't have enough pastoral care. At least we're going somewhere and we get people on the, on the ship and then we try to, we try to nipple. We try to, um, <laughs> what's, uh, yeah, we try to make up for the, 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 uh, the, uh the lack of our gifts, you know, and we bring people. So, so let's, let's go forward and then take care of ourselves rather than take care of ourselves and then try to figure it out, you know. So that, that, that's a general statement. Okay. Having said that very, uh, carefully to say that I think it's better that we move forward while we care for each other, uh, in your family and in your church. Okay. Having said once yet again, it's very obvious. There's some people. Uh, especially missionaries and some pastors that say, well, God will take care of my family and all I do is just uh, ministry. And we know that their families, uh, horrible marriages and kids who no longer follow the Lord. And, and that's, that's, that's a horrible testimony. So there's, there's some kind of balance in between there. Uh, I have to say, I've seen missionaries that have good, good parenting and still bad kids. Missionaries, bad parenting and good kids. And missionaries, good kids and good parenting. So <laughs> it's all God's grace. But I have to say, though, even on the mission field, and I see this in myself, I, I really believe I was a good father. Uh, and I really believe my wife was a good mother. And I really believe we really made family as a very important part. We were not like the previous generation where family was just send him to a boarding school and we'll just serve the Lord kind of thing. And I really believe that our kids turned out pretty good because of that. And, and not to, so I, I, it, it, I say that to just say that it's important for those who are in ministry to take care of your kids and family. And that is such a vital part. But the danger is then it becomes this idol. So the first, like I said, once you have kids for the first 10 to 15 years, that is your primary ministry. And of course, you're going to serve the church. You're going to support missions, but you have, you have to lay down the foundation. I'm going to uh, preach from um, Hebrews 11, but you know, with Moses and his parents, his parents were laid the foundation. You got to lay that foundation early on. And I, um, when I first arrived into Kunming, you know, my wife started full-time uh, Chinese school and she was in school from eight in the morning to f- 12 in the four hours of classes, came back for lunch, and then studied five hours in the afternoon for the next day. And so pretty much, you know, I was changing the diapers, you know, and I, I mentioned it already. But, um, and, and those first two years of just changing diapers, I think even though it seemed like a waste of time, I really thought it was a waste of time. Uh, but I think I, I, that bonding time uh, is, is why I think our kids actually, they, there, there, there are some um, spiritual lessons that I, I see that have have been outworked later. It wasn't a waste, um, and so 
If you feel like right now you've got to change diapers and just take care of kids and so on, that's your primary job, and make, make, that, um, make that an important time of your life. Uh, but, again, the danger is, uh, if that only becomes the only thing you do, well, what happens is kids graduate, eventually move out, and then you're left with, well, what's, what am I called to do? What's next? And actually, even missionary, uh, a lot of missionary wives go through that because they raise their kids most of the time in the mission field, but they never were able to transition out of a mom when the kids grew up. And so then they're, they've been sort of following their husbands, because um, the husbands have been involved in ministry, but the, the, the moms have been taken care of. And so <clears throat> it's important to still see that both husband and wife are both in ministry together um, so that that you're, you're, you see yourself as parents, but in ministry together. Very good question. And if you were to ask me when I was a pastor, um, I would have had a different answer. Of course, when I was a younger pastor, I would say church is more important. Okay. I just, you know, because I'm trying to build the church and I, you know, I say, you know, serve, you know, but, uh, you know, in the workplace, but, you know, we gotta, we gotta get this ship moving. You know, we're gonna change the world through the church. And so, you know, if you have any of your spare time, you know, we're going to have all-night prayer meeting on Friday night. You're, you guys all better be there, you know. Uh, I don't care if you have a company party or whatever, but, uh, you know, are you spiritual or are you secular? Right. So, and I know, okay, uh, each church has different culture, right? Okay, so uh, there's, a, there's a balance, of course, right? But then... Uh, if I were to redo it again, or let's say if I were to pastor again, I may still uh, really, I still think the local church is where your loyalty is. Because I, I feel like too many people think they're doing Christian work and church is just plugging in. But, you know, I'm really out there where the local church is where you're, you're committed to, right? But I would try to see releasing my people more into the workplace as the primary work of mission. That's how I would do it now, but this is, of course, me being a little more mature. But when I was first starting off, I would say, you're probably not too good of a Christian you missed yet last night. You know, I, <laughs> and you watched me on, online, but not, you know, at least you did that, you know. You know what I mean, but... But, but, okay, then I also say this, um, different churches have different cultures, right? Uh, you're in this church, and it's got a certain culture, and I have to say this, the reason why this church succeeds, compared to, I, I've, I've, remember, I, I teach church planting, I've seen around, and the, you're not gonna get a church like this, 
very, very rarely, is because you have a high commitment level here. This is not, this is not a Chinese American church in North America where uh, church is just plugging in. And I'll tell you what, those kind of churches, like I said, in 20 years' time may not be around, right? This church is going to be around. It may not be Pastor Seth here, but I'll tell you this, the culture of this church is going to be different than any other church that you've been to. It's because you have such a high commitment level here. So don't, don't, um, see this as a negative thing. You, you got, you got, you got the, in some sense, a, a great situation. I would, I would not try to, to, to take your commitment out from the church. Last night, you know, when I saw last night, I said, okay, that reminded me when I was in high school, uh, when I was doing high school ministry back in those days. So that was like, you know, uh, the prayer time and so on. Uh, I, I haven't, uh, seen that too often in uh, young people these days. Often there's, you know, more funds and funding games kind of thing. So it, it really, the, the commitment level to God and so on is a very precious thing at this church. And like I said, this is why I said you, you're in this boat, right? So you just row together with the leadership of this boat. And, and this, you might think the boat's going in the wrong direction, but at least it's moving and it can be corrected, right? So um, and if you trust in God and you trust in your pastor, it's going to go somewhere. And this church is going to, it's, I can see in, in the next 10, 15 years, this church is going to be very different from the, the, uh, the other churches that seem to have a little more of a, you know, if you come, that's fine. But, you know, on summer vacation, you know, some churches in North America, summer vacation, they close church down because they're, they're, on, they're on the Cape Cod doing vacation. So they, they close church down. But here, you know, like here, during typhoons, you still have a church, right? <laughs> right? That's, that's the kind of do or die kind of thing that you don't want to lose. This is, this is something that we had in same thing in Boston, you know, and, and I see it in the, in, in the Chinese church, you know. So it's interesting. All the churches snowstorm, you know, close and then Chinese Bible church. I gotta think, do I go with the Americans or do I go with the Koreans? I know the Koreans are open. We're Chinese. The Americans are closed. <laughs> Koreans are open. What should we do? I have to think that. And of course, you know, um, <laughs> so, so go with the go with the all out kind of thing here, but um, uh, yeah, I know I know I, I I do I do hear your attention, so I, I do I do. Um. Um, that's a very good question because that is something that I think most Christians, they start off very strong. And in college, when they're young and so on, they're all on fire for God. And then they get into the workplace and they have a family and then they just completely lose it. I mean, it's not that they lose their faith. They just lost all that passion. And then they say, well, that's what normal people do anyways in the end. So they've matured, you know, and, and, um, so, you know, I would say this. So the, the danger that I've seen is that once you make a lot of money, money comes with a lot of temptations. And if all possible, that you still live 
your life, the simplistic living life when you had zero money in your bank account during college days, and you still, God somehow provided for you, and you still were able to once in a while, and you know, splurge, whatever, and but you still maintain that kind of simplistic life even when you become rich. If you try not to change your value system, of course, when you have more money, you have more choices, and you can maybe once in a while splurge more or whatever, but you keep the same simplistic values that when you had, and then the extra money you have, you're able to donate that or give it to missions or be part of supported missions. That would be sort of what I would encourage each of you. And the greatest example would be, so during my days, we had prophets that were speaking to my generation, is what kind of car do you drive when you're a millionaire? Is it going to be a Tesla or is it going to be a Toyota? You know, And um, because when you have money, uh, of course, but during my days, we didn't have Tesla. So it was like uh, Tony Campolo challenged us, remember, and it said, if you own a BMW, you're not a Christian. Almost like a, <laughs> yeah, right? He said, it's like those who are, who, if you really uh, truly love the Lord, because he said, you understand that that kind of money should be used for the sake of the gospel, you know. So I'm going to challenge you right now. Let's say one day you, you do have, you're a multimillionaire, what kind of car would you drive? Uh, that message was a message that spoke to my generation. And I, I, I hear it lost now. Um, uh, what kind of car will you drive uh, when you have it all? You know, A Toyota can still run and does the same thing as a Tesla, only it doesn't have that hatch going up and down. Right? <laughs> But um, we drive, you know, Morrison Academy is a missionary kids' school. It's like now 60% Taiwanese business kids. It's Tesla, Porsche. If you own a BMW and Mercedes, you're actually a poor rich man. <laughs> you know, it's Maseratis now, you know, uh, in the parking lot. And then anyone with Japanese cars are missionaries. You know, Toyotas, Hondas, <laughs> you know, whatever kind of thing. So, uh, but... Um, uh, yeah, so I, I just say that uh, try to keep your simplistic living even now. It's good that you start this way, but try to remember when you get married and you start to get to work and you have some extra funds, how do you, how do you live your life? You know, <clears throat> uh, And I don't want to put too much judgment on the cars, but the cars actually reflect your value. You know, um, and maybe how much you pay for rent, or how much, anyway, you know, uh, but, um, Right, so, um, you know, because everyone has a different calling and everyone has a different journey. You know, for me, again, I saw my parents, I saw other missionaries, I saw my parents would always have people at over for dinner, um, always had people living with us, always had either missionaries visiting us. 
So throughout my life, I was able to see missionaries in my home. So one of your best ways to impact your family and your kids is to who you invite to your home. Of course, you want to, my, my parents had always uh, non-Christians over, always had music nights. I hated music nights because that means we had to come out and I had to play the violin and, <laughs> and, uh, we had to perform and, you know, and, uh, but, uh, my parents always used us as, as like showcase for the, for, but, but the home environment is what nurtures, uh, the values that came up later in my life, you know, um, and so the hospitality, the, um, the outwardness of, of, of missions, I caught that at an early age, right? Um, and then, you know, um, for me, of course, my junior year, when I went, I, that's why I really think an Urbana conference is very important. I, that's, I, that's why I want to see if Urbana can come here, but if we get something like that, when you have a, a, a larger conference where you're, you're challenged to see beyond what you normally see in life. Conferences, what they do is they bring you to something where you normally don't get it, but you're able to see something that's different. And you hear testimonies from people who actually did it and who actually laid out. And so, of course, you know, inviting speakers like me, but when you join into an, uh, a bigger event, you, you see a bigger picture of the world. So I, I really, I think, got challenged by these Urbana conferences in my 87, I say 80, I went to 80, 87, 90, 93, 96, 2000, 2003, and 2006. Uh, so I've been to all these conferences and that, that helped me kept my passion alive. Cause I've, a lot of my friends raised their hands in 87. In fact, I think there's only a handful eventually made it to the field, but a lot of them lost that passion. <clears throat> and for me, that kept me going. Of course, is I, you gotta marry the right person. Um, the number one um, mission killer for those who made commitments is who you start to fall in love with. If someone, I just, I'll be complete on that. Too many of these counseling sessions where I'm interested in someone who's open to missions. Once they say I'm open to missions, is over. I'm just telling you. <laughs> that's just a, uh, that's sort of, I'm open to missions, it's just a, just getting out of the, the ticket. Okay. I know we're all open to missions, but if you, if you really call the mission, someone who's called the missions and dating someone who's open to missions in the end, if they get married, it's always the lowest denominator wins, right? If the, if the missionary, uh, mission person who wants to go and the spouse sort of wants to go, but is open to going, it's usually they never get out to the field. So, uh, the, ch- the, 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 the challenge that say if you are, uh, called, uh, to, to missions is who you get, uh, who you, and then thirdly, this is what I would say is often we say, well, I'm not called, I'm, I'm open to missions, uh, but I haven't received the, um, you know, the light bulb experience yet. Right? And, and, uh, and, and this is what I would say to you if you're still in that category, right? So, uh, and this is going back to, to Jackie. Jackie's, Jackie would say this. Actually, that light bulb, that call decision is part of your desire to make that choice. If you really want to do it, just like if you really want to drive a Tesla, you would go and figure out a way to do it. So if you really study scripture and you really understand the heart of God is the mission of the world, 
you wouldn't just wait for that light bulb to come. You would say, you know, I'm going to follow that direction until I get stopped. And then if the light bulb comes and ever. So, so there is sort of a, um, I'm planning on going, but willing to stay. Not I'm willing to go, but plan, you know, it's the, the mindset is I'm heading in this direction because I, I read scripture. I see that the, the God's heart for the world. And I don't feel this yet light bulb experience, but I just sense knowing God, his heart, that's what I want to be in the center of God's heart. I'm going to head in that direction until God stops me. And trust me, if you're not called to the mission field, it's going to get stopped somewhere down the road. I mean, there's so many obstacles to get to the mission. I already told you, right? It's, to get to the mission field, you're already, uh, uh, everyone's going to try to stop you, including Satan, but even people that are very godly. So don't worry about that. Yeah, I might not get stopped. I might just end up on the mission field. Then great. God's going to call you in the end. But I would say, have this desire. Once you read scripture, say, you know, uh, move in that direction. And that's, uh, that's what, um, uh, what Jack said. The combination of God's call and your own desire are mingled together somehow, you know. And so when you capture the heart of God, it's almost like you almost would say, I want to first explore if that's my first calling before for anything. And, um, and, um, so I just uh, to, to say that call is a very, very uh, different people of different experiences. But I think we almost assume that you have to have like the Paul uh, in Damascus experience, you know, the thing. But um, even I would say my mission call was more of I just want to do something that had kingdom significance for the rest of my life. And that just automatically just it just moved in that direction. And um if you have that sort of already in you, I just just continue in that direction, that path. You know, when I speak to groups like this, often is usually one or two or three people come up to me afterwards, and I already know. I usually try to speak. I I, I speak to larger groups because I I really just want to speak to the one or two because in the end, I know the one or two who really get it, they can understand it. They will. I want to encourage them to make the next step, and of course, the the rest of the people need to hear it too as well. But uh, I, I, I wish that the, um, uh, as you hear this, the ones who really are resonating and saying, okay, I, this makes sense for me, uh, that you would find the time to talk to Pastor Seth and me afterwards. And I've already you know, talked to a couple today. But it, anyways, those are the kind of people that I, I really treasure and value because I think that's they, they, they're capturing something uh, very important of their call. But I'm just wondering if there are other 
of ways because it does take time. And mm-hmm. I think what we call it just timing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there are other ways where we can maybe be more sooner if we have stories from the people that we need to see that have done creative ways. Maybe mm-hmm. even finding other questions because right now I haven't uh, really found like what uh, I think I have found some, but like they're kind of introverts for me, and mm-hmm. I also have some cultural uh, like uh, barriers where it's not really so easy. So mm-hmm. we thought maybe connect, but I'm just wondering if you have some kind of tips on how to connect to that. Yeah, no, actually, when you enter a certain culture, it is is it is very hard. It takes uh, and, and it takes a long time to try to develop that. <clears throat> Uh, and actually, it's actually no different as a missionary going to a culture as well. It, it's it's a, it's plowing through years and years, you know, to have the trust and the credibility to to share your life. So, first of all, just to commend you to keep on going. Very good. But um. Yeah, and you you did mention trying to find other Christians, and you you, may, you might say there's hardly any Christians in your company. But it's, it's it's interesting when when I've often heard stories of people saying, "I didn't realize I thought I was the only Christian," but then I found out there are other Christians. It's kind of like uh, you know uh, Elijah thinking he's the only prophet uh, uh, left, uh, but then really there were seven thousand other prophets that, that so. So maybe it seems like you're the only person right now or whatever, but um, start to pray and see if there's others that might uh, be open to, even though it might be culturally, because they're, they're also, if there are other Christians in your group, in, in, in the company, they're probably feeling the same thing, right? Because everyone's thinking that, right? So, so just keep that in prayer and, and keep your ears and eyes open. But if you do find someone, I think that's really important to have some kind of a workplace time of prayer, whatever. And and I've seen that in China often where they just Christians gather together to encourage them in the workplace in prayer. And that and it may may not even be in your company. It could be someone in 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 that area, the CBD area, whatever. And you can find a few other working professionals get together and say, "Well, you're probably doing that, right?" So. Yeah. So everything I'm sharing, I, you know, you, you guys know more than I do. So you're in that context. But it starts with uh, these 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 little flames that are by themselves in the dark. And you need to bring these embers together slowly. And sometimes it's a long process, you know, to do that. But um, you might say I'm I'm more neishang. I'm more, you know, I, I'm not a I'm, I'm introverted, you know, I'm uh, and, and 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 that's you. You know, God uses different people. Some people are just naturally extrovert, and some people are introverted. You know, but there's a challenge for introverts too, as well, to try to you know maybe there's ways that you can at least share something that people may know that you're different. You know, and I don't know what it could be. It could be, um, you know, praying. It could be, you know, how about this? Talk, talk coming with your colleague who's going through. A major crisis in their life. Maybe their parents just died, or maybe they got cancer, or whatever. They got a kid, and say, "Can I just pray for your kid? Can I just pray for your family?" You know, uh, saying if 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 you offer prayers, most people will say, "No, yeah." They, they'll, then at least they know that you you're you're doing something 
you know, uh, spiritual for them, you know. And then they'll know that at least you're a Christian, that you believe in a God that's, you know, they might be Buddhist, whatever. They'll, they'll say, yeah, sure, why don't you? So one, one good way is just to offer prayer to someone in need. And there's going to be people in your workplace that are going to have. So once you hear something, let's just say you hear a tragedy in the workplace, and you're going to hear that, right? Maybe that could be just the opportunity you need to go and just say, can I just come and pray for you? So um, uh, my friend who's now in, he's, uh, he's a hospital chaplain, but he, he goes and he, he, he ministers to people who are even, you know, very staunch Jews who are just anti-Christian. He just says, can I pray for your kid? And, you know, even a Jew atheist will say, oh, okay, sure, go ahead, you know. Uh, uh, so uh, when you have that kind of mentality, then they, you know, they're potentially, and in the end, it may not even lead to anything, but it just opens some, some possibilities. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.